0: I I tend to think of anything like this as just a tool. And a tool is largely a kind of unbiased thing. If you think about like a hammer, you know, you can do it to build something amazing, or you can use it to mug someone. They're both Mm -hmm. two possible (laughs) end states of the same thing. Um, And this is much the same, like you can use it for good, you can use it to augment your existing processes, or you could use it to you know, almost substitute for all the work you do. You could just press a button and delegate a lot of it. It's our job to tell a better story. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are rewarded. People are sick and tired of being marketed to, and they're sick and tired of being sold. The single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are buying different.
1: Welcome to the Growth Hub podcast. Our guest today is Ryan Law from Animals, a content marketing agency that specializes in working with technology companies. Ryan is here to talk about GPT-3, a new AI technology that is changing the content marketing landscape.
2: Ryan shares his experience using GPT-3 to generate content for his blog. We also discuss the potential of GPT-3 for content generation, the limitations of the technology, and how to get the most out of it.
1: Now, don't freak out. The introduction you just heard was written by an AI. We went meta and made the generative pre-trained Transformer 3 write an introduction about itself for the episode About Itself. Trippy, eh? Let us know if you could tell the intro was written by an intelligent machine. Now, everything written by GPT-3
2: in the introduction that you just heard was accurate. Um, Yeah, Ryan would probably say that animals doesn't only work with technology companies. But, you know, that's a detail the AI decided to omit. And we've been actually playing around with GPT-3 since the recording with Ryan. And it is, um, to say the least, mind-blowing. Actually, it's
1: so good that it's scary. A bit of a disclaimer. If you haven't used advanced AI tools in content marketing before, you might find this episode unsettling. So hold on to your hats and enjoy this episode with Ryan Law on GPT-3, the AI that's about to change the face of content marketing as we know it.
2: Hello, Ryan, and welcome to the Growth Hub podcast. We are absolutely thrilled to have you here with us.
0: No, Yeah, pleasure to be here. Really looking forward to chatting to you. I I know we've already been geeking out over this stuff even before
2: the recording started. (laughs) Geeking out is probably the best description to what we're about to talk about. So um, basically, from my perspective as a content marketer, we are talking about AI today, and for for me, um, from all the like AI tools out there, it's the, okay, this is going to be a mouthful, but Generative Pre-trained Transformer 3. So GPT-3, for sure, is probably the most interesting out there at the moment. And that's what we're going to be talking about a little more today. So. I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who don't know what that is. So Ryan, you guys have been kind of looking into it and writing about it. So could you tell us and for our audience, what exactly is GPT-3?
0: I will certainly do my best with the caveat. I'm obviously not an engineer, so you know don't always <laughs> trust everything I say. But my understanding of it, uh, the name does, goes a long way to explaining what it does. Uh, so it, it's an AI model and it is pre-trained so most AI models you have to give it data so it can learn recognize patterns in it you don't have to do it with GPT-3 because the training is already done and the thing it has been trained on is basically billions of words it's read in inverted commas like uh, all of the English language Wikipedia all of Google Books I think pretty much every blog post published up to 2019 And what it is doing is it is using that data set to try and recognize and build its own sense of what the rules of language are. And it does that so it can be generative. So basically you ask it to do something, you ask it a question or you ask it to write you a paragraph on something, it can do that because it looks across its data set, it looks at like similar instances of those words and topics and it tries to predict what a likely next word would be. So through that kind of crazy mechanism, you can write stuff you can actually build out articles blog posts books anything you like and it will come back with fluid pretty much human sounding prose which obviously for marketers and for content people like myself it's like witchcraft basically <laughs> uh, you know AI has been very hyped in marketing over the years I've not paid any attention to it until this came out and I started playing and my brain basically melted from my ears and I realized this was something I had to pay immense attention to because it was probably going to change everything.
2: No I love that uh, description witchcraft and brain melting because that is exactly the reaction I had when I when I first uh, saw what GPT-3 can actually do so I think that's
1: a very very concise uh, description of it. Witchcraft yeah (laughs) well it's, it's very exciting but it's also kind of it's very scary at the same time but uh, if you think um, over the past few months, you actually have been experimenting with the uh, GPT-3, right? And um, well, cause you've obviously been doing it. Can you uh, tell us a bit more about it?
0: I certainly can. And you're right that I think it is scary because
1: mm-hmm.
0: my first reaction, you know, somebody who's predicated my career on being able to write well, The idea that you can have a bit of software and you can tell it to do it and it can possibly do as good a job as you terrifying like the stuff Mm -hmm. that existential crises are made of. And that was kind of why I was so intent that we animals should spend time looking at it because I would rather be on the side of the disruptor than be the kind of passively disruptive. Um, So the thing I'm looking at at the moment, I have a a, basically a hypothesis that you can use GPT-3 to write SEO content because... SEO content, for the most part, can be quite simple and straightforward and still perform really, really well. If anyone out there has had to write like a, you know, 10 best podcasts listicle or something in that vein, you know, it's not exactly Shakespeare, but it can still drive really great results for your company. So I thought, hey, what if we could massively expedite that process using GPT-3? So it's just one particular use case, but I think it's one of the most important ones to look at because seo accounts for most of what content marketing is today so that's what we're trying to do we're actually building seo blog posts working out how long it takes you know a human writer versus a human and gpt3 uh, are the results comparable is the process different or all that kind of thing uh, so we are writing and publishing seo blog posts with gpt3 at the moment
2: wow so um h- how much of content have you been publishing lately with ai
0: Yeah, so I started off with like a little personal project because that tends to be, you know, the easiest way to make something accessible and learn about it is just to play with it in your own kind of back garden. Um, So I published maybe like 20 or so articles on a personal blog of mine, all very utilitarian listicles. Uh, It's still quite early days, so there's not much to talk about in terms of performance but so far they are tracking exactly how I'd expect human content to perform. Really? So, yeah, already ranking, already got a few keyword rankings, some kind of tentative traffic coming through in a very similar timeline to what I would expect. And honestly, I'm not that surprised by it because I look at the content I generate and I look at what I wrote You know, back in 2015 when I was a much less polished and professional writer, pretty similar stuff actually yeah um so that's been really interesting but what we're doing more animals is we're looking at the process part of this because obviously we are a bunch of skilled human beings that write content so we want to know if we can use this as a tool within our arsenal so we're in the process of trying to for a company we've partnered up with uh publish an article a day for them using gpt3 and like human skill and that obviously like you know how most content teams function, how most agencies function. The idea of getting an article out a day is pretty hard to wrap your head around, Mm -hmm. certainly for us animals. Uh, And so far, it seems entirely possible. And recently looked at the first batch of content we created, and it was pretty fabulous, actually. Seriously.
2: (laughs) So um, in terms of like uh, volume, you that, you said that you're pu- you've been publishing one a day. So overall, how much have you published so far with that process?
0: Yeah, we've only done like uh, a couple of weeks worth of content. We just started fairly recently with this. So not That's, a huge amount, yeah. but enough to learn a lot about the process so far as well, which yeah. has been quite interesting.
2: So of course we want to hear about learning. So what have you learned so far?
0: <laughs> so one of the very first things I learned playing with this is that if you basically like ask it to write a blog post or use one of these tools and you hit the compose button and you just leave it it does an awful job <laughs> uh, it basically it's trying to like bootstrap so it's basically building on the things it's already said and you end up with these long meandering rambly things which are kind of ostensibly about the thing you asked it for but it's you know circular reasoning self-contradictory how in many ways like a terrible writer would actually function in some cases Mm. so you can't just leave it to do its own thing not at the moment anyway Um, so we're basically experimenting with this idea that if we front load some human input into the places where it's really high leverage so maybe we'll come up with a bullet point outline or we'll write an introduction you can actually then delegate the rest of it to the ai and actually get something that is very closely mirrored to what you started out with like there's a lot of benefit to putting input right at the front end so already doing that i think you can reach long form well-written search content if you basically write small pieces and help stitch it together which is you know it's not quite the same as hitting the magic blog post mm. explode appear now button um but already it's, you know, a fraction of the time it would take for someone to sit down and write this in their uh, in their own volition.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, at least to me, it's kind of um, if someone writes something for me, it kind of starts the process. It's so much easier to kind of, kind of get in and do the editing and, and all that. So I kind of imagine I would be using it for this as well, kind of. So those
2: articles you've been publishing, giving the like the first input, the intro or bullet points or whatnot, and then what you get out of it, do you then even continue editing it, editing it with humans, or do you publish it as it is at that point?
0: Yeah, it's a really good question. We're kind of working out what is the end goal of this because I went into this thinking like the end goal is how do we approach content that is the best possible calibre that humans would create, but we happen to have done it with AI. Mm-hmm. And I almost feel like I've had a slight change in perspective recently. And it's this idea that, you know, a lot of content to have good results can be good enough. And actually, there are lots of companies out there with small budgets, kind of they just need to get content published and out the door. And you can learn from it and build a feedback loop and use that data to work out where you should spend more money and get like great writers to do it. So actually, there's almost this other way of thinking about it, which is how quickly can we get to like minimum viable content using AI? Something that is indexed will get some rankings, some feedback, and you can use that to work out where you should invest more. Um, it's really, really interesting stuff. It, we're basically shifting the role of the writer from somebody that is creating stuff to somebody that is editing and curating, and we're kind of de- handing off the writing portion to technology.
2: Mm. But that, that's actually really interesting because that still doesn't take away the expertise of the human writer. Because you still have to be a pretty good hu- human writer. You still have to understand content marketing and strat- like business and strategy and whatnot so that you can actually edit the articles that the AI pumps out. So the I suppose the human writing skill doesn't disappear
0: it's interesting when you start thinking about like the second order consequences of this technology because I think right right now you're totally right you have to have skilled human beings that can kind of set the parameters and have a good intuitive sense of what good content is otherwise the output is bad but I don't think we're gonna to have to have that forever because basically what well, all these tools and software, platforms are doing they're all using the same API but they're all working out how they can shape the prompts that go into it in order to get things that look more and more like content out of the back end and actually you know what even as a skilled writer the things we use the heuristics the decision making the way we structure writing It's not actually that complicated. I think given, you know, enough time and enough money, you probably can come up with a software model that reliably shapes the prompts you put into GPT-3 to get really good content out of it at the other end. And although that sounds kind of scary, there's almost this kind of like democratization that happens at that point. If anyone can do that, then everyone will do that. And then there's no incentive to doing that because that just becomes the the bar that everyone has to clear. Mm. In which case, you know, maybe the... Feel of competition shifts to somewhere else where we focus on thought leadership and interviewing people and data-driven content and all those kinds of things yeah the kind of game theory of this technology is just absolutely fascinating and enthralled by it
2: Well, we're going to be um, talking about the future of this uh, a bit later on in this podcast, so I don't want to forget about that. But um, we'll we'll try and uh, stick to uh, still with with the experiments that you've been running. I'm I'm curious about um, any kind of feedback you've gotten uh, from well, I suppose humans about these um, blogs or content pieces that you've been writing with AI? You know, can you share some of those or have people noticed that they are ai written? or?
0: Yeah, so in every time, where, every instance where we've collaborated on this with somebody, it's always been, you know, we're experimenting together. So they know right. how we're thinking about this because it's still quite an unknown thing at this point. So I want them to be brought into it. But the feedback of literally everyone who's been a part of this process has always been, just kind of slight jaw dropping that <laughs> it just it is what you would expect to get from a good human writer and I, I guess I don't think it's that surprising in the sense that it is a good human writer that is steering the ship in the way we've set up this model so if they're happy with it which you know they always have to be before we'll ship it off to anyone it's going to be pretty good uh, a lot of the benefit we're looking at is basically on how do we reach the same output we would have had before, but in a way that is you know more fun, more enjoyable, less arduous, less boring? How do you get away from the blank page syndrome that a lot of writers struggle with? Um, yeah, I think GPT-3 already looks really promising in that regard.
2: Mm. So is that the goal that you just described that you have in animals for, for AI-generated content?
0: Yeah, we don't really know at the point. This is like a, a whole big kind of exploratory thing. I can see lots of different ways this could be used there. You know, what are the parts of content marketing that are not fun for humans to do? Can we delegate that away? Or what are the parts of our existing process, which are particularly difficult or unfun, you know, like brainstorming blog post titles, for example, it's actually a really hard thing to come up with 20 different titles. Mm -hmm. We tend to latch onto the one that, you know, has, the one that we like the most and then we create minor variations of that there's always this kind of sunk cost problem. AI doesn't have that. It can blast through these creative bottlenecks and actually help out where the human psyche is actually not very good in lots of cases. So anywhere from like, yeah, delegating away a part of our work to just helping with the really skill things we do, or else, you know, is there a world where we stop doing anything that AI can do really well and we focus on the stuff that AI can't do? And we become a team of you know amazing interviewers and journalists and data researchers and all that kind of thing
2: cool well you already mentioned that you um you're still in the early days of this experiment both at animals and maybe also for your own personal blog but um any kind of like indicative results that you might be seeing at the moment
0: not in terms of like uh performance metrics mainly because this is search content and it's not been published for very long and you know generally looking at three to six months depending on domain authority and keyword competition to get some like really good data back from it but i kind of alluded to this i expect the results we get from this to be exactly the same as human content um The things that make search content perform well are actually quite simple things. A lot of the time, it's not even the words on the page that matter a huge amount. It's the domain authority of the blog you're publishing on. It's whether Mm -hmm. you've ticked the kind of optimization boxes in terms of metadata and titles and headers, and does the website have lots of content on the same topic so that Google gets a good sense of your topical authority, all of which are things that are not impacted by GPT-3 in this regard. The basically the area of exploration is our ability to reach that state more efficiently.
1: Okay, so based on your experience, so uh, with the GPT GPT 3, sorry, it's just a mouthful. Um, so can you share some of the great and terrible use cases that you've had?
0: Yeah, we are a big fan of animals, of like. Trying to zoom out and think about things through a lens of a framework, and we did this with our early experiments, and we came to the idea that GPT-3 is really good for things that are short and creative, and really bad for things that need to be long and factual. Uh, and if you think about it, it as like a two by two matrix, you can plot lots of different types of content on there, and GPT-3 would be good or bad to differing extents. Um, so a good example of something it does really, really, really well: product descriptions or like, really short. A pithy social media content like a couple of sentences uh, you can give it some examples of tweets you've sent we actually did this exercise and you can get back a bunch of tweets which feel as though somebody wrote them as a continuation of that previous batch because you know it's not that hard to copy 20 sentences and glean a few of the recurring themes and stylistic choices that happen so I'm, I'm adamant no one's talking about it I I'm, I'm bet there are people out there that have this churning out tweets at like an absolutely prodigious rate and uh, getting a bunch of traffic through that mechanism. Uh, But the inverse of that might be something like, yeah, I don't know, like a long journalistic blog post or like some kind of thought leadership article which has to have a cohesive narrative structure. GPT-3, one of the biggest constraints is the fact that it is not designed to tell the truth. That is not the goal (laughs) of this software whatsoever. Its only goal is to say things that sound coherent. Mm-hmm. So it will say things that sound like facts. And a lot of the time, it's absolute nonsense. Uh, one of the first like, really visceral exposures to that I had was when we generated some test blog posts like back when this was in the uh, closed beta stage. And there were some quotes in there from some really well-known like founders and uh, marketers. And I couldn't track down a single one of them. It basically knew that, if we ask it to generate a blog post on this topic you would expect it to have things that look like quotes from people that work at Salesforce or HubSpot and that kind of thing so it would say hey I recognize this as a rule of language I'm going to create things that look like that but at no point is it saying I'm going to go and find these quotes because everything GPT-3 mates is is generally new it's not quoting from places it is developing new content based on the rules as it understands it of the things that already exist. So that was kind of shocking, you know, actual fake news, fake quotes from people throughout our blog posts. And if you aren't looking for that, it's very easy for those to slip through and become uh, something that is published and part of the internet discourse.
1: That is scary. And also it's
2: scary, but it's also kind of funny because, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of like business content um, is is, is getting blamed for using like, these percentages uh, to try and catch people's attention rather than trying to create actual like a storyline or whatnot. So, you know, AI could just be churning out percentages that are not true, just, you know, completely made up. And how would you know? No, I (laughs) want facts. I want facts.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but it's a really good commentary, actually, because if you ask it to write a blog post, it has read lots of blog posts. And they are all similar enough that has taken away a few universal rules that a blog post looks like this. And you know what? It looks like a thing with a statistic in the introduction. It looks like a quote from this CFO at this company and all that kind of thing. And there's this, I think, real risk of a kind of regression to the mean because a lot of these uh, tools, like Jasper and so on, they are using the GPT-3 API but they are also adding in their own data collection to this. So they're also adding a new prompt. So when you ask it to write something, it's logging what you've written. It's using that as a new and extended part of its data set. So I think the more that you use GPT-3 to write content marketing, the more the output is going to look like content marketing. Mm-hmm. And we're going to reach a point where it's very easy to get something that looks like a blog post out of it. But again, that's kind of problematic because everyone's content will look the same to some extent
2: mm. and enough content marketing already looks the same
0: yeah exactly it's one of the most like templatizable generic forms of writing on the internet i think
1: so who's going to read that <laughs> we Who, who's going to consume <laughs> all this content if it's all going to be well that's I mean, a good point and yeah. i
0: i almost think a lot of content marketing people don't consume it I think we're actually almost wrong to think that you know everyone's reading this in most cases the mechanism it works through is you know we appear for this search query and somebody clicks that and they probably don't even read the blog post but they remember the brand and there's some mm-hmm. kind of association there that maybe will play into the decision-making process in the future i'm not i don't think that's the ideal state but i think that's probably how a lot of content marketing functions today
2: yeah absolutely mm-hmm. this actually brings us quite nicely to the next question because all along that we've been talking about, I've I've had really mixed feelings. Like part of me is really excited and giddy. Part of me is a bit scared and nervous. And it's like, I, I see the possibilities of the technology for creating work and using it for, for what we do professionally. And then I also kind of feel like if I use it, I'm cheating. It's the, you know, go, go where the, no, grass is greener in a way. Oh, the good girl syndrome. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I should I should you know, creative work oh, is yeah, no. creative work is inner work. It shouldn't be coming from technology <laughs> or whatever. So, what's your take on this? How should content marketers like myself and my colleagues feel about using AI for creative work?
0: I, I tend to think of anything like this as just a tool. And a tool is largely a kind of unbiased thing. If you think about like a hammer, you know, you can do it to build something amazing or you can use it to mug someone. They're both two possible (laughs) end states of the same thing. Um, And this is much the same. Like you can use it for good. You can use it to augment your existing processes or you could use it to, you know, almost substitute for all the work you do. You could just press a button and delegate a lot of it. I think maybe the thing to keep in mind is whenever you're using it is. I guess, are you in control of what's happening? Do you understand the process? Do you have an idea of what you want to happen at the end of it? Because if you don't, it's very hard to know whether you're making something good or something bad, whether you're helping people or hindering people in their search. I think the reason we're getting good results out of it so far is because we have incredible writers that are using it and they have a very clear vision in their mind of what a good output will look like and they can nudge it in that direction if you lack that discretion and that judgment, you won't know the difference. And you'll probably publish a bunch of things that you think are great. And not only will you not learn anything from that process because it's this kind of black box that hasn't given you any feedback, you create stuff that is probably not helpful to other people and just add to the hideous amount of noise and spam that already exists on the internet.
1: Yeah. Hmm. Okay. uh, Well, we we can obviously, we know that um AI is getting better I mean it's it learns constantly and and uh we will probably at some point get to that point that it's going to be like super high quality and hyper personalized content um but do you think that we are already there or um is it like a utopia land for us at the moment what do you think
0: I'm quite like a cynical person by nature, I think. So I think the reality of this technology for a very long time is probably going to be making the online experience probably a lot worse for people, I think. If there is like some kind of utopian ideal where, you know, all the kind of utilitarian factual searches are just taken care of by AI and nobody has to write that boring stuff, but it's still like good quality. We're going to have to go through a terrible situation first where, you know, some enterprising seo on their own they suddenly go well you know i'm going to target these a thousand keywords with the fastest article i can generate using these freemium software tools i'm just going to publish it and see what happens and you know it's kind of people talk about like performance enhancing drugs in sport as soon as one person does it everyone else has to do it to keep up there is that element of you know a race to the bottom happening i think so i think there's enough like short-term appeal and not enough constraint and not enough uh, incentives created by google and other companies to prevent people from massively abusing this so we probably are going to see things get a lot worse i think bad articles written without any human oversight with questionable facts and statistics maybe the slightly heartening thing about that is i almost feel like that is the state of content marketing <laughs> already today
1: well that was my <laughs> next question i like follow up to that, that do you think that oh kind of should I be really scared of actually the content that I consume or read? Is that valid? Is it already is it already like um uh, trusted trustworthy reading or should I be scared as if?
0: <laughs> I think I mean yeah, we should probably already be very like skeptical mm. and critical of everything we read even though it is written by people because content marketing fundamentally in- introduces like, very misaligned incentives. The incentives are for people to create things that you know are biased to a particular company and a particular like thing you want them to buy and to publish it quickly and within the constraints of like whatever business model they've set up. And that is in most cases not hugely conducive to really great things. It's why you know most content marketers look at the top 10 search results, pick out the points they want, add that into the outline, publish that, and hope their better domain authority carries the day. So yeah. Uh, that will probably get worse, but I think that is a situation that already exists now. So a bit of like healthy skepticism around content is probably good for all consumers.
2: Okay, uh, it's that's a bit depressing. So let's try and um, <laughs> let's try and find a silver lining on this thing. So, I mean, obviously you guys have been experimenting on this, and you've probably kind of paid a, paid close attention to what what other companies are doing. So I'm wondering if you've seen seen or witnessed situation with where in which AI has been used brilliantly to either for content marketing or generally to support marketing operations
0: so I think like AI is a broader thing there are lots of companies using it in really useful ways at the moment Um, and obviously the thing I know best is obviously content marketing but it kind of relates to a bigger part of that but uh, a tool like ClearScope for example so this is an SEO tool and I, basically there's almost like a pre and post ClearScope world where you used to do all these boring laborious things like keyword clustering and competitor analysis of the articles and ClearScope was invented to do that and used AI in the process and the world it we live in now is just better because of it because it does a good job. Uh, there, are, I can't really see that many problems about the kind of technology and the ethos there and lots of companies are using it. So I think there are lots of yeah lots of good use cases for that i've not seen many people use gpt3 in a good way which is why i'm quite interested in it at the moment my sense is that lots and lots of people particularly in seo are using it and nobody really wants to talk about it because there's potentially a competitive advantage to be had in terms of being the first one to pump out like a thousand articles um so i a part of this is I, I do kind of want to widen the discourse a little bit and get more people involved to explore what this could look like because I think generally that kind of attitude that's hide it and you know use it to the advantage while we still can is not conducive to making the world a better place. I kind of want to shine some sunlight on how GPT three can be used for marketing generally.
2: Hmm. How about if we look at, um, look beyond GPT-3, so other use cases for AI in marketing in general, do you have good examples from there?
0: I mean, I'm quite interested in, uh, so lots of people talking about like DALI and these uh, image generation models at the moment, because a lot of the breakthroughs that happened with natural language processing are things that kind of carry across to other types of um, models. So you've probably seen people generating like amazing images and artwork from like a couple of prompts typed in the same way. I think maybe the most important part of that is the fact that these, you can interact with really advanced AI models using written language, which was something that was not previously accessible to people. You used to have to be a developer to access AI and get the benefits from it. And now you can interact with it through written text, which anyone can do. And yeah, I know a few companies have one article i read actually was somebody programmatically replacing all of the stock images in their blog posts and their thumbnails with original generated images because i think stock images are kind of terrible you know mm. they're <laughs> so generic you know how many like woman at coffee shop smiling <laughs> you know woman eating salad man posing in front of office building we don't really need those in the world they don't add much Yeah to i
1: love those <laughs> uh,
0: one of the few oh, no, consumers no. that are a big fan of it.
2: Um, <laughs> so yeah, yeah please yeah. leave the room. <laughs> Sorry yeah,
0: Don't they code. <laughs> it basically, you know, they set up a method for replacing all of those with original images that had never been seen before. And I think that's a really interesting use case. You know, this is where we get to the kind of personalization thing. It, uh, it's prohibitively expensive to commission like illustrations for every blog post, even though maybe be the ideal state. We would have that. Like on the animals blog, I spend loads of time creating process diagrams and two by two matrices and it's all hard work and they don't look very good. But if you could like type that as a prompt into a piece of AI software and actually get something professional quality back, that that, that is a good use case for the end user. Their experience is made better from that, I think.
2: Yeah, absolutely. That would be great. That, that would actually help us a lot
1: as well. Hmm. <laughs> Definitely. Okay, now, um, new technology, whatever it is, it always comes with challenges. And this is something that we already talked about. Um, and um, the uh, AI, the ethical question of the AI. So there's lots of false uh, truth uh, in, on, online. And it's super um, difficult for us commons models to know know what's what's what so my question to you ryan is that um do you think that ai and ethics go impair and if so what do we as marketers need to know it to use it for good
0: oh uh, yeah i think you absolutely do have to approach this entire experiment process technology with ethical imperatives in mind because if you just leave it to do its thing it will yeah you need a human in the loop, I think, to control what happens. So we've talked already, yeah, it makes facts up, it makes things that sound like facts, and unless you are looking for it and validating it, a lot of misinformation will be perpetuated. Uh, one of the big problems in AI as well is also bias. So if you think, you know, what is the state of the internet today? How How good a place is the internet? Is there bias there? is it all written by probably white men for the most part like there's so many different instances where you know i wouldn't want the internet as it currently is to shape what the internet will be in the future but because this software is built on that existing data set i think if you just leave it and you you know exhibit no no control over it it will perpetuate those biases into the future and possibly worsen them as well so you have to be thinking about that um There's also one thing I'm thinking a lot about is this kind of problem of attribution. So one of the things you can do is ask it to, you know, write me a couple of paragraphs about like a block of cheese in the style of Shakespeare's sonnets. (laughs) And it will do that. And it will be surprisingly good because all of Shakespeare's in the data set uh, and it can recognize the rules of language that Shakespeare used and it can create something new based on that, which feels fine for stuff that is old and kind of in the creative commons. But what about modern day authors? You know, What about my, my writing? Some of it from pre-2019 is probably in this data set. No one's going to ask it to write a Ryan Law style blog post. But if you do that for somebody famous and it's copying that and it's creating something in the style of like you know Neil Gaiman or Stephen King or someone like that, is that ethical? Probably not. They've not been asked to include their work in that data set. They're probably not happy with uh, derivative works created on the back of that. Uh, And I think that's particularly true with the image generation stuff. You know, you can create things in the style of particular artists very easily. And yeah, very interesting question there. Yeah, I think it basically boils down to the fact that a human has to be kept in the loop at all times because bad things are going to happen. Misinformation, harmful things, bias. And you can't just hold your hands up and say, hey, it wasn't me. It was the software I used. You have to have a person that is culpable and accountable for that. Um, Otherwise, the AI will just create terrible things and nobody will be able to argue against it. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. This actually brings me to kind of thinking about my own kids. Like, um, how can I make sure that they actually understand that everything, obviously, everything online is not true. But now even like you have to question everything and you need to kind of consider the ethics as well and and all that. So it's kind of comes to every single one of us it's a minefield it's a mine yeah exactly oh my god i'm so (laughs) terrified
0: it was in the news fairly recently it was i think like google's lambda model which is a kind of you know similar counterpart to gpt3 and there was one engineer who got let go of the project because he thought it was sentient and i'm not an engineer but from my understanding and from lots of other smart people is that no it's not sentient but it does sound like it is sentient because you can hold a conversation with it because it has read lots of conversations, it knows the rules of language that go into a conversation. So you can ask a question and it can give you like a really interesting personal answer that mm. feels like you're talking to another human being. It can even pass the Turing test, which is one of the kind of classic, you know, is this sentient tests. Um, and yeah, imagine you know, your child entering something into a conversation with GPT-3. All the software is spitting back is stuff that it thinks fits into the context of a conversation, but the person reading it could go, Oh, wow yeah that's a really good point i should think about that and mm-hmm. you can actually change how they think and how they behave exactly so yeah it's, oh, it's <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> mind-blowing stuff this i think it is. really is
2: that i actually kind of want to go back to what you just mentioned one of the challenges being you know how do you give permission to use some of this material because uh, one of the things that has really kind of blown my mind in the past couple of weeks is you've probably seen the story of the artwork that got a prize in the in the US that was made by AI. And I was following that conversation online, and there was this um, one artist who made this this argument that if uh, a song was written by AI that had taken like uh, prompts and lyrics and words from like all the thousands and thousands of songs that are online and then made a song from based on that or from that that music the, uh, this person argued that the music industry would have just like completely shut it down because of rights violations. Now whether <laughs> the music industry would have actually been capable of doing that, that's a, a whole nother matter but that made me wonder exactly this could the same argument be made for you know content and content marketing that we do like how do we how do we make how do we make those dis- like distinctions how do i know that if i'm using this i'm not using like you said Gale, uh, Neil Gaiman's work or something like that so it was it was an interesting conversation
0: yeah yeah but the philosophy of this stuff is amazing as well because I think one way of thinking about it is the idea that like human creative processes are kind of sacred and can't be touched. And, you know, it's not art if it's made by AI, even if it looks like something that a human would make. And it's amazing. And it triggers all these emotions in you. My little voice is bashing at the door. (laughs) Um, But I think that doesn't really hold up either, because if you interrogate human creative processes, I don't think they are as mystical and amazing as we think they are. We are also operating in a similar way where we are looking at things we enjoy and we're ripping off other people consciously or subconsciously and remixing that into something new. So I, I personally think that art is art, music is music, good writing is good writing, whether humans made it or whether AI made it. I don't think there's too much validity in that distinction.
1: But is there a need for like good authors in the future? Uh, is Reta going to be unemployed?
2: I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) If somebody can write better than me, go for it. (laughs) Yeah,
0: it's interesting, isn't it? Um, Yeah, we're entering this whole new threshold where it used to be hard to create things to consume. And that's not going to be the case anymore. Like, we're going to have a there's already an absolute surplus of media in the world of different qualities. You look at, like, uh, the advent of self-publishing, the explosion of, like, books that that created um, changed how people interact with the medium. And, you know, as well as getting more good stuff, we got a lot more bad stuff. This is going to be like that taken to the nth degree. There will be amazing things created this technology, and there'll probably be much, much, much more terrible stuff created by it as well.
2: Mm. And I, I suppose maybe even the definition of what is a good writer is going to change as well with the technology. It might not be something that we now consider to be good.
0: And I, I do kind of think, you know, there's this concern that as like content marketer, for example, our jobs are going to change. It's going to be scary or oh, we should be worried about that. But then the job I have now is such a short lived thing. You go back even 10 years, this was barely a job and it has itself been enabled by technology. So, yeah, I think our roles will evolve and change, but I think that's kind of a healthy and natural process, and, mm. which is why we have to all play with this stuff and get over the fear and aversion and learn to use it for good and not let other people control the discussion and uh, yeah, not be too afraid of it.
2: Well, I like that more positive sound that we've been having <laughs> over the course of this conversation. So. Okay, so we've been, you've been kind of already alluding to things like how this technology might work in the future and whatnot. So I'm, I'm going to ask you to kind of look into the crystal ball and uh, just tell us what you think about where you see AI having an impact in in marketing. Let's say, I don't know, maybe in the next five years. I mean, five years is very. I mean, it could be three or 10 or whatever, but let's, you know, agree on five years now.
0: (laughs) Well, so I think two things really matter here. One, anyone can interact with this technology. Um, So it is by definition accessible to anyone that can type and like ask a question. And two, it is currently incredibly cheap. This is not something you have to like have an enterprise license to access and pay like $10,000 a month. Uh, This is something you can access through a freemium software product. So I basically think this is too good and too cheap for it to do anything other than just kind of naturally land and expand in virtually every organization that would benefit from it. And that is virtually any organization that has writing as a core part of the processes it does. And that's not just marketing, that is you know, sales teams that have to send out the same proposal over and over again, that maybe they want to create better proposals in a more templatized way, or like finance and procurement teams that are sending out SOWs and MSAs all day and getting bored, senseless with that. And <laughs> you can use this technology to help with that because it is fundamentally interacting with writing and writing is such a core part of human communication generally, let alone marketing. I just, yeah, I think five years from now, this will be an absolute norm for people in some area of their life um and yeah i've talked about this a bit but if i was a content marketer i would be trying to add you know my experience with ai tools and gpt3 into my cv as quickly as possible and positioning myself um in that regard because yeah not only is there content generation but there's really interesting use cases in like programmatic seo or like content refreshing and updating and all these amazing processes that nobody has built yet that are just waiting for somebody to create.
2: Well, thank you for giving me that uh, advice. I'm going to be doing that straight
1: after this recording. Then. Oh,
2: brilliant. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thanks for that, <laughs> Ryan. <laughs> hey, uh, before we let you go, um, we'll ask you five short questions. So, um, yeah, just tell us whatever comes to your mind. Okay, ready? Okay, here we go. Boom, boom. What book or books are you currently reading?
0: Uh, So I'm currently reading Letters from a Stoic by Seneca. So not to be like a total generic tech bro, but you happen to have caught me while I'm reading like one of the Stoic texts. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I just find it really interesting realizing that human beings like 2000 years ago are basically the same as human beings today. It's just the world around us is very different.
1: Fab. Um, SaaS company you love and why?
0: I've been thinking a lot about Podio recently, the like course, creator software. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Uh, because I, I launched a course through them and they basically gave me everything I needed to do that and build a small business in one like very affordable software login. So yeah, they have my heart at the moment, definitely.
1: Okay. What is your favorite place to read about growth? Uh
0: I really like the Reforge blog. Um mm-hmm. I think mainly because they do a good job at getting the voices of like skilled individual contributors into their blog doesn't feel like you're being marketed to. It feels like you're talking to somebody that actually knows how to do stuff. So big fan of Reforge.
1: What is the most important growth metric? Uh,
0: So despite being a marketer, I spend like a ton of time in our CRM looking at basically like MRR and deals closed. And so I'd probably say some kind of like uh, revenue metric, you know, let's say MRR for now. I want to go as close to the source as possible. None of these like MQL nonsense
1: Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Yes. <laughs> and the final one, what is your best piece advice for fellow SaaS marketers?
0: Well, I'll probably close the loop here and say, you should probably go and start playing with some uh, AI content tools, AI tools generally just to see what is possible. And uh, if I like total non-developer, non-technical person can use this and like have fun with it and talk, hopefully vaguely coherently about it. You definitely can as well. So go and have a go. <laughs>
2: Fantastic. Well, Ryan, this has been an absolute pleasure. We're so happy that you dropped by to talk to us about AI in content marketing. Thank you so much.
1: It was a blast.
0: It's so much fun. Yeah, I really appreciate it.
2: And I have to say this to everybody who is listening. Ryan and Animals' blog. There, Ryan has written some, and I think somebody else from, from you guys has written about GPT-3. So if you don't know about that yet, if this is a completely new thing for you, go to Animals' blog and read all about it. So hopefully that will get you going. And that's it! Thanks everyone for listening. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And in fact, we would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, so tell us what you thought. Anything we missed, anything you'd like us to revisit, let's keep the conversation going on on Twitter at
1: SaaS Growth Hub or on LinkedIn at the SaaS Growth Hub podcast. And if you don't want to miss the next episode, make sure you subscribe to Growth Hub on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or SoundCloud. Until next time. Cheers. Cheers!